Alright, well, welcome guys. We're going to be uh, teaching a lesson called Remix, Concern for People Not Like Us. Um, you know, the idea is that we all have our comfort zones. We all have our areas where um, we have our you know, uh, go-to conversation topic that's our most comfortable. Um, you know, like nerd stuff, music, activities, um, your heritage, your team, your style, your movies. And it's easier to talk to people that have that in common. It's when you when you go to your go-to questions and they they're able to connect to it and, and you're just able to flow and it, it just goes really easily. We have this comfort zone with those people. And the problem is that we've been called to reach the whole world and not just the ones that are just like us. In Acts one eight, it says, "You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And for us, these are just names on a map. But to those he was speaking to, a lot of times, those places, this Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, that was hostile territory. That was an area where people were not like them. And they were supposed to go and be witnesses in that area. And so you look and, and you look through the book of Acts and you look at um, some of the, the primary players that, that the book of Acts focuses on, on Peter and Paul, you know, who was Saul. And, and you look at some of the awkward conversations and the awkward interactions that they had to go through in order to accomplish God's will. You know, when, uh, when my daughter Kaylee was younger, she, she, one of her favorite words was awkward. And so when, uh, when, when we'd be in a situation and someone would say something, she'd say, awkward, you know, and sometimes it applied and sometimes it didn't. In every one of these situations, it absolutely applied. It was truly awkward. And so you look at Saul, you know, who became Paul. And, and was going out and he was persecuting Christians and imprisoning them and at times approving of their deaths. And, and he's confronted by this guy named Ananias. And, and Ananias had to provide healing to someone that he was afraid of. And sometimes that's one of the things we have to do is we have to provide healing to someone that we're afraid of. And Ananias goes, and, and surely, Ananias was well-connected with the, the commun Jewish community there. Surely Saul had persecuted people that, that Ananias knew and loved. And yet God called him to reach out to his bully. And, and to reach out to, you know, for us sometimes, maybe it's the vicious gossip. You know, he's torn down our reputation. Maybe it's um, the heartless manager who schedules you on a day you desperately need off. You know, maybe it's someone who's, who's beating you up or, or you know, emotionally or, or physically or in any way like that. But sometimes we've got to provide healing to someone that we're afraid of. You look at um, Saul and the church in Damascus and Jerusalem and the way that Barnabas was a, an ambassador for, for Saul in those places. You know, Saul had done these horrible things to Christians. And then he tries to come into the church with the reputation that he had. And understandably... They were skeptical. And sometimes we've got to be welcoming to someone who's really uncomfortable to deal with. Someone who doesn't look like us. Someone who looks rough. Who smells bad. Who, um, who speaks in a way that's really uncomfortable when kids are around or even when we're around. And, and sometimes we've got to welcome that person that's uncomfortable to deal with. The way that Barnabas wrapped his arm around Saul and said, hey, this guy's with me. Even though it was awkward. Even though it was uncomfortable. Even though Barnabas' reputation was at stake. He put his arm around Saul and said, this guy's cool because he's with me. You look at Peter with Aeneas and Dorcas and, and how he, he recognized those that were on the fringes and he, he showed them their worth. You know, Peter never would have been comfortable talking to a woman or a, like Dorcas or a paralytic like Aeneas and, 
And he absolutely wouldn't have ever come near a dead body and raising Dorcas from the dead. And, and yet he did that and, and went against all his Jewish leanings, all his upbringing, because he recognized that there were those on the fringes, those who were being overlooked, that women and paralytics were absolutely being overlooked in his time. And they needed the gospel as much as anyone else. And so we've got to have that willingness that Peter had to, to recognize those on the fringe. And you look at Peter and Cornelius. You know, Peter... The, the Jew of Jews and, and Cornelius, this Roman soldier who, you know, whose people had put the Jews under their thumb for so long. And Peter overcame racial bias and, and, and went up and, um, and accepts correction. You know, he accepts P, uh, Cornelius and, and builds him up and, and communes with him and eats in his home. And, and he's just got this warmth for someone whose, whose people were his enemy. And I look at all these examples and acts of people overcoming awkwardness, and I, I recognize that real church means dealing with the messy stuff instead of avoiding it. That a real friend isn't afraid of your mess. That you can, when you're in real church, that you can ugly cry. You know, that, that cry where there's just no holds barred. And, and, and you can admit your failures. And, and, and at times, if you have to, just sit in silence with someone because you don't know what to say. And so today, as we go through this lesson, we're going to define what real church looks like. We're going to talk about three things that we have to have in order to have a real church, a church that's not just for people that are like us. So to start with, we've got to start with a real vision, a vision of what church looks like when we do it the way Jesus did. You know, when, when Jesus started the church at Pentecost, when the Spirit came and, and Peter and the other twelve um, the others of the twelve preached at Pentecost. I don't think it was an accident, the setting that happened there. It says that over 3,000 were added to their number that day. And when you look at how he set it up, it, it took people from all over the known world at the time. Pentecost was a time when, when God-fearing people from all over the known world would come and be in one place from so many different backgrounds and so many different places. And that is where God chose to start the church. And so the church was always meant to look weird. You know, you think about those, all those people that came to Jerusalem and stayed, a lot of them didn't speak the same language. They would have had completely different customs. They had different you know, dietary habits and, and ways of communicating. And, and that is what Jesus chose the first church to look like. And we should have a weird-looking church. Your church should be a cross-section of your community. It should include international students. It should include people from different economic classes. It should include people from different races and genders and backgrounds and personalities. You know, when, on Sunday nights, a lot of times, um, after our small group session that we'll have, we'll all go out with our Publix near our house, which is a grocery store, and, and we'll all go out to Publix together. And we'll all get dinner, and then we'll come to my house, and we'll cook it together. But when we go into Publix, it is such a weird, it draws attention because it's a weird group of people. Like, you've got people from all different races, and, and there's a, an age range, and all of them are, like, you know, picking up our kids, you know. So there's, like, this weird group of 20 people that all feel comfortable with these kids, like they're their parents. But then they're also, like, kind of looking at me and Crystal, like, we're parents, and asking permission to buy stuff and bring it to the house. And, and you look at people, like people, the employees will look at us and they're like they're trying to figure out the dynamic and they're like, how in the world did this group of people come together with this dynamic? And it makes no sense. And the only way to explain it is that we're doing real church and, and Jesus bound us together. 
And I came up in a really diverse ministry, and so I didn't realize how rare that was. You know, when I was, I was with Len Stringfellow, and, and our interns at the time were Stacy and Aurelio and Anthony, you know, a girl and two black guys, and, and Lynn is the whitest man you've ever met, this bald guy from Oklahoma. And, and his interns, his core group, his leaders, are a woman and two black dudes. And it, it was this weird mix of gender and race and personality. And, and you know, when I, I look back to my time there, and, and you know what we called interracial dating? We called it dating. It wasn't a big deal. Like, it was nothing. It was, it was no big thing. It, we didn't, I didn't see anything significant about that until I left and realized that's really weird. That's really unusual, and it's sad that that's unusual. Even in the church, that's unusual. It didn't stand out because Lynn wasn't trying to fill a quota. He didn't have a, a statistical breakdown of what he needed in his ministry and, like, only reach out to black dudes for a while because that's what he needed or only reach out to women for a while because that's what he needed. He just looked for opportunities wherever they came, whatever they looked like, and he reached out. He boldly pursued them no matter what they looked like. He wasn't worried about how awkward it would be or how different they were from him. And because of that, he ended up with a, a weird group of people in the best way possible. We sh- um, I look at Mark 12, 30-31. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love your neighbor as yourself is bigger than our differences. It means including those you wouldn't naturally include. You look at the 12, the, the guys, the, the men that, that Jesus handpicked to follow him, and it was a weird group of people. You had Peter and John who were these strong, tight, deep personalities that were constantly butting heads. And you had Matthew and Simon, you know, Matthew, the, the tax collector, who was taking money from his own people to give to the Romans and a lot of times abusing them and taking more than he should. And you had Simon the Zealot who belonged to a group that would carry knives around and stab Jewish defectors and those that, that served the Romans. He would, this is a guy that in a different setting would murder Matthew. And here they are following Jesus together every day for three and a half years. You, know, you, had, you had different professions, you had different personalities, and they all came together. And again, that's not an accident. Jesus chose these people because they were a weird group. And because they were diverse, and because it would take the grace of God for them to work together. Acts 10, 34-35 says, Then Peter began to speak, I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. You know, God's kingdom draws very different boundaries than we do. You know, we draw our boundaries based on physical landmarks or, or racial divisions, And we have to ask, you know, our boundaries are, do you have a relationship with God or do you not? You know, don't forget, you know, we we honor him, okay, as a a civil rights activist, and we should. He did amazing work in in this MLK weekend at this retreat. Um, But but MLK was a preacher. That's where he got his ideas from Scripture. And we can't forget where his source was. His vision didn't start with him. It started from God. And his vision united people and it brought about real change. And it all started with the understanding that came from God that he calls people from every nation and every background. You know, purpose purpose unites people that could not come together otherwise. Even in the midst of some of our worst racial divides in the country, you hear stories about guys going off to war 
and 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 white guys serving alongside a, an all black regiment, and, and then forming this bond that just could not happen back in the country because they were serving a common purpose. And when we serve God's purpose, it unites us in ways that we couldn't otherwise. So God's real vision is for us to create this diverse body of disciples. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we get there? And the next thing that we have to have, the second thing we have to have, is we have to have a real concern. The way we get to a real, our, accomplish our real vision is to have a real concern. We need to have the kind of heart that Jesus had, in the eyes to see others as he did. Our concern, is, our concern for the welfare of our neighbors must become greater than our obsession with our comfort. We've got to care more about the people around us than we do with how comfortable we feel. We're trained in our, in our setting. We are trained to chase comfort at every opportunity. And I'm not immune from this. You know, I, I love comfort. I, I feel that I deserve my downtime. I deserve to upgrade my possessions. I'm, I'm entitled to be treated with courtesy at all times. That's how I feel. But love of comfort leads to missed opportunities. Comfort is the ultimate enemy of real concern. You know, resentment, it, comfort leads to resentment, love of comfort leads to resentment when my downtime is lost, as if it was ever mine in the first place. It leads to, to me hesitating um, to give when it prevents or delays a purchase that I want. You know, when, when my first thought, when I see a need and my first thought is, man, you know, that's another month that I won't get to get that new phone or I won't get to you know, buy that thing that I wanted. That's, that's an enemy of real concern. You know, it leads to anger when I'm treated unjustly because I feel entitled to be treated well at all times. All of these attitudes shut doors that God may have been trying to open. He may have led you to that moment when he wanted you to interact with that person and, and reach them. And, and our love of comfort just shuts all that down. Leviticus 23.22 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. You know, this whole idea that they would, they would work for months and months and prepare this field. And then at the end of the day when they harvested, they'd harvest like three quarters of it and just leave the outside edge. Just leave it there. So those who needed could just come through and get it for themselves. We've got to ask, are we leaving a portion of our heart, of our time, of our attention for those that are different? Or have we filled those up? Have we filled ourselves up to the edges, to the edges of our time? Have we, have we maxed out our calendar? Have we filled our affections and the room in our heart with other things? To the point where there's no room left for anyone else. <clears throat> how comfortable is your time with people in your ministry? You know, how often are you intentionally bringing in people that take a little more work to include? Or are you just spending time with people that it's easy? You know, that, that doesn't take any extra effort from you. You know, think about what's God's, what God's asking of Israel here. Imagine leaving, imagine spending hours and like, in, in like 150 bucks on a, on a cart full of groceries Right, and you've you've carefully selected, you've planned all your meals, and you you've got all these groceries, and you're hungry, and you're really excited. Have you ever shop hungry? Like you you buy way more than you should, right? And so you you've got all this stuff. You're so excited to eat it, and then right before you walk out the door, you take a quarter of your cart that you just spent your hard-earned money on, and you leave it in a box by the door and walk out. And it's like you know a significant chunk of what you just bought is just laying there for whoever might come along and want it. 
You know, think about leaving, about telling your employer, hey, you know what, for this time, just leave out a portion of my paycheck, and you guys keep that for whoever's behind. It's like the ultimate take a penny, leave a penny. You know, like it's like, but it's, it's tons of our resources. Imagine leaving a portion of your week. Say you just left uh, a, a Thursday night every week where you would say every Thursday night is my time to serve, and I'm not going to do anything I want on Thursday nights. I'm going to go and I'm going to find someone who's on the fringe, find someone who needs some love, and that is my night to serve. And just cutting out a portion, leaving the edges of your week for those that need it. That's what God's asking of Israel. He's trying to teach His people to think of others in everything they do. And so the, the first step we talk about whenever, whenever we talk about this idea in our ministries, we talk about praying for the desire to reach those that are different. And I, nobody wants to admit that I, nobody wants to say, hey, I don't want to reach out to others, right? Like nobody wants to be like, hey, yeah, I'm selfish. I don't want, I don't want to reach others that are different from me. But, but honestly, whether we vocalize it or not, verbalize it or not, that's what we're saying when we, when we decline to reach out to others because it's uncomfortable. When we see the opportunity, we walk away. And so as weird as it feels, we've got to ask God, God, help me to want that. Help me to want that. And I'm willing to admit that I, I didn't want that enough before. You know, I'm willing to open up and, and confess and say, look, I've loved my comfort more than I've loved other people. And so God put a desire in my heart that's more than my desire for my own sake. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And catch this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of, of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's a, there's a Christian rapper I really like. His name's Andy Minio. He's got this song called Wild Things. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness because I can't rap. So I'm just going to read the lyrics. <laughs> Nobody wants that. All right, so he's, he's talking about where he lives and the choices that he's made with his family. And he says, I want to be where the wild things are. I'm with them because my life's the only Bible they've ever seen. They say you're acting cray. Sorry. They, <laughs> that ain't no place to raise your kids. But if we, ain't living, if we ain't living it, who else is going to show them? What a family's supposed to look like instead of them broken homes. You know, the, the whole idea is he moved his family to an area that didn't have the best schools, that wasn't the safest, where you had to lock your door and you had to watch yourself. And, and he put his kids and his wife in that environment. And people are like, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's nothing. You're not protecting your family. You're not fulfilling your responsibility. And he says, no, I've got a greater responsibility. I'm choosing my neighborhood based on the kingdom um, kingdom opportunities instead of housing values and school choices. He's talking about engaging your neighbor instead of just being the friendly guy or girl next door. That's something I've been so content with in the past. You know, I want to be the guy that everyone knows, like smiles and waves as you drive by. And that's about as much as I'm comfortable with. But I, you know, Crystal and I stayed with her parents um, after I got out of school and took a while to find a job. And, and it's wild because I got to see how, how her dad and, and her mom would engage their neighbors and, and have real friendships with them. And it was super awkward. Like, you know, it, it was super awkward for me. It was so uncomfortable for me because that's not how I grew up. But when I saw the impact they could have, I, I loved it. I was like, this is incredible. I want to have that, that kind of in, impact. And, and we have to be aware that 
when we decide to have that kind of impact, it's going to lead to some incredibly awkward conversations. There's going to be times you're going to come up to someone and have no idea what to say. And you're going to say a few things and then the conversation will die and you don't know what to do next. And, and that, that will inevitably happen. And there's even going to be times where people are going to think you're weird and not want anything to do with you after. Like it's, there's going to be times where it just straight up doesn't work. And you're left there looking like a fool. And, and it's really uncomfortable. But there's also going to be some amazing friendships and some amazing opportunities that come out. And you're never going to know what those are until you take, try to take advantage of it. And I, and I understand, look, this is from the guy who taught the introvert class. Like when they thought, who's going to teach the introvert class at CMUs? Like, hey, Adam's the guy. He's like the, you know, the perfect introvert. And, and, it's not, and I had to realize it's not about me. I don't want that. I don't, left to myself, I don't want to force these conversations. I don't want to, to come out of my comfort zone and talk to people. That's not my thing. That's not what I'm about, left to myself. But it's absolutely what I'm about when I'm following Christ. You know, I, you know, I think about uh, my neighbor who moved in across the street and, and I'm driving home and I've had a really long day from work and, and I haven't seen my kids much in the last couple of days and, and I'm just really looking forward to coming home. And, and I pull into my street and this guy, this, this inconsiderate guy has decided today of all days is the perfect day to move into his house. And I don't know why he didn't take my schedule into consideration or why he didn't think, like, obviously Adam needs to see his family, so this isn't the ideal time to move. But for some reason, this guy thought it was the perfect time to move. And so Crystal had seen the moving van, and, uh, and I, I come in, and, and as soon as I look at her, she looks at me, and, and she said, you saw the moving van, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And she said, go get him, honey. And so <laughs> she... We both felt like we were due family time in that moment. And God provided the family time later. But in that moment, we both knew the opportunity was there and I had to take it. And so I went over and I, I helped him unload his moving van. And we've become really good friends. And they've come to church now and come to CrossChat. And, and their daughter comes to CrossChat with us almost every week now. And is one of my daughter's best friends. And <laughs> in our small groups, when we talk about who we're going to reach out to, Kaylee, my daughter, every week says... I'm reaching out to Brooke, and that's, that's their daughter. And, and there's been fruit. There will be fruit from your efforts when you, when you go and do the uncomfortable things. And so we've got this real concern, this, this real vision, and we're accomplishing it with real concern. And the last ingredient that has to be there is real love. So you can't get to real concern by playing church. You can't really, truly be concerned for others by just playing church. The cost is too high. Leviticus 19.34 says, The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you are aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Sometimes we we portray this, this loving everyone thing as a New Testament idea, and it's not. It's, it's been in God's heart from the very beginning. This is the essence of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, to treat someone from outside as if he was on the inside. To realize that we've all honestly been outsiders at one point or another, and it didn't feel great. And we've all been the, the recipients of acceptance, and, and so we need to have that same acceptance. And see, with real love, we, I, I feel like when it comes to, okay, so, so we've got racial tension like crazy in our country right now. And, and I feel like some of that, 
a lot of it, there's a ton of different sources from it, but I feel like some of it where we've gone off track and something I hear a lot of times is this idea of I don't see color, right? Like I'm just going to treat everyone like they're the same person and I don't see color. See, I don't see color doesn't work because we are different. And if you treat everyone like they're the same person, what you're really probably going to do is treat everyone like they're like you. And you're going to not know about their background. You're not going to know about the things that that make them feel welcome. And so we need to embrace our differences. We need to acknowledge, yes, I see that you come from a different place. I see that you're different from me. And that's totally awesome. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to try to invalidate them or, or hide their differences. I want to know, I know all kinds of things I shouldn't know because of the friends that I have. I know things about hair. If, you, if this is on a recording and you can't see it, I have no hair. But I know so much about hair. I know the cost of a good weave. I know how long it takes to put in dreads. Like, I know all these things I should not know. I know about death metal. You know, I know about cannibal corpse and cryptopsy and, and my personal favorite, cattle decapitation. You know, that's not my music. Like, that's not what I listen to. But I know all about it. I know about FSU sports. I am a born and raised diehard Gator fan. And I know way more about the Seminoles than I do about the Gators right now. Do you know why I know about that? I know about these things because I care about people that know about these things. And so I've made it my mission to know about them too, so that I can relate, so that I can make them feel welcome, so that when they're around me, they feel like I'm talking about us instead of talking about them. So I can bring them into my world and I can go into theirs and it becomes our world and not just this, this place where they're outsiders. Matthew 5, 46 through 47 says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In the end, it, it has to get around. It, and the, in our relationships with people, as we're including different people and we're, we're bringing in different people, it has to get to Jesus. Or what's the point of what we're doing? You know, if, if all we do is just greet people, if all we do is just make them feel welcome... Real love must include sharing the gospel. At some point in the not-too-distant future, we must share the gospel with them. You know, we reach others through the love of Christ, not our own persuasiveness. It says that, for Christ's love compels me. You know, it's not about like me having um, a ton of cultural savvy or me having these persuasive arguments or me having um, this charisma that... that that just brings people into a relationship with me. That's never the goal. The goal is to bring them into a relationship with Christ. The love is just the avenue to get there. And to show, to show real love, you know, and this is where we're coming to, to show real love, we have to build real foundations in our relationships. I told you guys three, we're going to get four as a bonus. All right, real foundations. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, Jesus laid a foundation. He, he started out by intentionally initiating the relationship. He goes to Matthew's house, which, as we see, 
was not a did not have a good re- reputation, and and that he would be he knew he would get criticized for it. But he went to his house, where where Matthew feels comfortable. This would have been you know we talked about awkward. This would have been one of those really awkward times for Matthew to have a rabbi in his house would have been incredibly uncomfortable. But he defends Matthew against a popular crowd. He stands up for him when other people are criticizing Matthew and him. Compare Jesus' approach with your relationship with your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your friends. You know, are we being that intentional? Are we going to where they're comfortable and, and bringing Jesus to them? We've got to build the foundation. You know, we've got to pray for the people around us. Jesus constantly prayed for the people around him. We've got to break bread. We've got to share meals. You know, that's such an amazing way. It's so many times Jesus opened doors by breaking bread with people. And that's a true way, to, the easy way to deepen a relationship. We've got to include our friends. Team up with a brother or sister and you'll, you'll all grow. You know, if you, if, you all, if you include each other, then A, it's going to deepen your relationships. B, you're going to have another resource. So when your lame conversation skills fail, then someone else can pick up the slack. Right? Uh, there's so many times in my ministry when people will say, well, I'm, you know, I can't do that. I'm, I'm too scared. And I'll say, hey, there's an introvert. Grab him. You know, go bring them with you, or an extrovert, rather. Bring, grab someone who's more comfortable and go with them. Go with them. Do it together. You know, when you're talking with someone, listen for new ground. Don't just be so concerned with what you're saying. Listen for common ground and listen for new understandings. If they say something and you don't understand the reference... Don't laugh awkwardly and move on. Tell them. I don't know what that means. I never saw that movie. I didn't, I didn't hear that song. Who's that? Ask them questions and, and allow them to deepen your understanding of their world. You know, at, at Publix, when we go on Sunday nights, we approach every employee with the same love. And then we see who responds. You know, every one of them, we go up and we ask their name and we ask where they're from. And, and we talk about the short time we have in that checkout line and, and we, we ask them questions about how their semester is going and all these different things. And some of them look at us really weird and then like don't talk to us much the next time. And some of them we've really started to develop a relationship with. And you never know what that's going to be until you, you start to intentionally build this foundation. You know, when I, when I decide what I'm going to wear every day, when I'm, when I'm going out shopping, I'm not as worried about what looks good. When I, when I pick out a t-shirt, the number one question I'm asking is, is this going to lead to a conversation? And so when I'm, I'm actively thinking about that, and when I go out on campus, I'm, like, I'm thinking about, like, yeah, I want to wear something that's going to lead to a conversation that someone will laugh at or someone will point to, and, and, and it's going to lead to me being able to talk to someone. That is not my normal bent. I don't want people looking at me. That's not comfortable for me. I don't want people to randomly come up and talk to me. But I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen the awesome things that come when I, when I initiate these relationships and I want that more than I want my comfort. You know, wrapping it up, when, when we would go out, our campus ministry at Tampa, we would go out and we would do these summer mission trips to Tulsa and, and we would take people um, that came from a, a really rough background, these kids that would come from a really rough background and we'd just love on them for a week. And these kids, for the most part, did not share my experiences growing up. They, had, they grew up in a completely different world than I did. And we've got to be willing, we had to be willing to get past our comfort, past what we're comfortable with, and hear hard things, and hear where they come from, 
and love on them even when they rejected us initially and, and relentlessly love them and not give up when they pushed us away and not give up when things got awkward. You know, there was a, there was a kid, and it's funny because he's in the back of the room, and his name was JD, and, and he's the one I got paired with. And, and we came to this moment, and it was the worst possible scenario for me to bond with someone because what happened was we all sat down with the kid we're paired with, and we were told, okay, now you need to come up with a nickname that starts with the first letter of their name. And the, the, the reason this is the worst is because I am not a creative person. And so I'm horrible at coming up with new things on the spot. And so, of course, I get paired with a guy whose name starts with a J. Like, what starts with J? And so um, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of it. And we're on a time limit. So finally, they're like, all right, time's up. you got to share your nicknames now. And, and they called on me first, so I was out of time. And I panicked. And the best I could come up with, and I apologize, JD, the best I could come up with was Jumpin' Jack Flash JD. I don't know where that came from. I'm not 80 years old. Like, I don't know why I said, I don't know why that came out of my mouth. And JD was horrified. He was horrified because all these others, like, they had these really cool nicknames and mine was so bad. And then it was so bad that people, like, teased him through the camp and, like, called him that. And now, of course, people are going to do it again. And again, I'm sorry. But, but that's, it's just what happened. And it was so awkward. It was, it was so awkward. And I, I had to decide in that moment. Like, man, I really blew that. But I love this kid. Like, I just met him, but I love this kid. And we're going to form a bond. And this week is going to be special. And we're going to overcome my ridiculous nicknaming skills. And, and I'm going to teach this kid about Jesus. And we ended up make, forming an awesome bond. And, I, and the next year when I saw him, we, we were still really tight. And it was so cool. And it's amazing to see him growing up in a campus ministry now. And, and so many people have had so much more to do with that growth than I did. I had a... Such a small part to play in that. But I played some part in that that fills my soul. And it's so exciting and it's so fulfilling. Because of that small little foundation that that God allowed to work through me. You know, God makes it work. That's the point. That no matter how awkward we are, how uncomfortable we are, or how difficult it is, or how many times I fail, God makes it work. Not me. It was never up to me. It was never about me. It was about the saving power of God and what He can do in our relationships. And so we we get a real vision from Jesus. We show real concern based out of love, real love, and we put it to work by building real foundations. Matthew 6, 19-21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The problem with comfort is that it's an illusion. It promises things that it cannot fulfill. It's quick to disappear. It never fills you up the way you hope. When I'm I'm at the end of a long day and, and all I want to do is sit down and play video games for like four hours... And just drown out my my worries and my concerns. When I get to do that, it feels really good for a time. And at the end, I'm tired from lost sleep. My problems are all still there. And I'm I'm not fulfilled in any way. And honestly, full disclosure, there are times when I come home and the last thing I want to do 
is to have my kids jump on me. I love my kids with all of my heart. There are times when I'm stressed out and I don't want to deal with it. I come home and and, and I, they're whining and they're, they're jumping on me and, and they want all this attention and I'm exhausted because I've been paying attention to people all day and it's the last thing I want to do. But when I, when I get over myself and I see them as people and, I, and I, I just take a deep breath and wrap them up in a hug and then we go and build a fort together or, or Levi, my son, we like to beat each other up and, and that's love for him and, and uh, or we'll go outside and play even though it's the last thing I want to do. I am so fulfilled and I'm, I'm so full and I'm, I love it. It's, it's so much more than just worrying about comfort. Your neighbors are the real treasure. The people around you are the treasure. Not the things you feel like doing, the people, the people that you can impact. And so my encouragement to you today is, is to train your eyes to see people for what they're worth. They're not the person who took the seat you wanted in class. They're not the person listening to music way too loud in their headphones. They're not the person that's too loud in your dorm and, and interrupting your studying. They're a soul in darkness that desperately needs the light. There's someone who's different from you that deserves your love. Train your eyes to see them for what they're worth. And then train your heart to see the possibilities so that you can make the most of them. It's going to take practice it's going to take some really awkward failures, but I promise you, God does the work. And he said his, his word will never return void. And you're going to plant seeds and some of the fruit you're going to see and some of the fruit you're never going to see. Some people you'll, you'll have a little conversation with and you'll think you totally blew it. And then you find out years later that it had an amazing impact. There was a guy um, that I, I worked with in Tampa at a call center and, and we'd hang out and we'd spend time together. And, and it was really, it was weird because I tried to talk to him about Jesus and he talked to me about cheating on his girlfriend and, and, uh, and we, we have these conversations and, and I never really felt like I got through to him. I had to leave eventually. I went off and, and went to school and, and I never really felt like it went anywhere, even though I'd prayed for him, even though I'd spent time trying to talk to him. And I, I felt like that was a missed opportunity. I got a Facebook message from him a, a year ago. And he said, man, I just wanted to thank you. We hadn't talked in, I don't know, eight years at this point. He said, I, I just want to thank you. You're not the main reason I became a Christian, but you helped. And I'm a part of a church now, and I'm, I'm married to that girl that I was messing around on before. And, and I've been open with her, and we've got this marriage, and, and, and that's a blessing to me. And I just want you to know I really appreciate what you did and the time that we had together. And I was, I was a mess. Like I was just, just a ball of tears. I, I just had no idea. And, and again, my part was so small, but I had no idea what God, what work God would do with it. And something that I thought was a failure. And so train your heart to see the possibilities, to take advantage of them. And again, just ask God for that desire to chase the things that matter. Chase the things that are going to last for eternity. The things that are most important. And show concern for people that aren't like you. You guys be blessed. I hope you enjoy the rest of the weekend. And, uh, and just have your eyes open for these opportunities.